0: bulls gold is delivered to you via the barroom network now in its seventh year of providing podcasts about chicago sports movies and more make sure to subscribe to the barroom network for free and easy downloads of its programming and visit its merchandising store at deepdishtees.com to purchase t-shirts hoodies and mugs now on with the show
1: On the Ballroom Network, I'm Edward Schuler. Joined as always by Salim Sudawala. Salim, how are you doing today?
0: I'm good. Ed. just, uh, you know, good Sunday morning. Um, unfortunately, the Bulls have had some uh, a couple of back-to-back tough, back-to-back losses. I'm sure we'll get into that and uh, other topics uh, regarding to the Bulls in general. But yeah, I'm I'm doing uh, pretty well. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, I'm doing really well. Uh, The Bulls uh, split four games this week, wins against the Boston Celtics and the Pacers uh, lost back to back losses against the Spurs and the Sixers uh, last night, uh, both five point losses. So kind of some tough, uh, some tough execution down the stretch. But uh, yeah, some mixed results from this team so far through seven games and a big time opponent on deck when they go to Brooklyn on Tuesday, also at Boston on Friday and Toronto on Sunday. So uh, a little bit of a tough stretch ahead these next uh, couple of games. So we're going to get into some discussion on what we've seen from the team this week. And joining us is uh, a really, really great uh, reporter for NBC Sports Chicago. He covers the Bulls and always has great insights on the team, always has his ear very close to, the team and what's going on uh our guy one of our favorite guests rob schaefer rob thank you for joining us again man
2: yeah thanks for having me again guys uh it's been a while yeah. but uh i've been coming on this show i mean really since i first got on the beat um yeah. and i've been on plenty of times uh, so many times that i've lost count i was going to try to do the math in my head uh, just now yeah. but couldn't <laughs> quite get there um, no, for sure for sure but uh always always appreciate coming on yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Like I
0: was thinking the other day, I was like man, we haven't had Rob on it forever. And That's why the hell have we haven't we had him on forever? I just didn't, you know. And it was funny though too. Like it's kind of a mix of um, like Ed and I just stopped recording as often last towards the end of last season, mm-hmm. um, just because schedules got busy, and then um, yeah, and then just things kind of got glossed over. And I was like, yeah, man, we need to that Rob on real quick, like. He's yeah, our, it he's was when I go
2: to for both yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it was it was good to see you at the game the other night too. Salim, we each were reminded of how tall the other one is. Yeah,
0: definitely. <laughs> it, it, you know, actually, I, I, I kind of had it the other way. You thought I was shorter, <laughs> but, but I thought you were taller. I don't know why. Like, I remember when I when I saw you the first time, I was like, "Man, this guy's like six five But I was like, oh, okay, he's not as tall as I remember. So I know, maybe you're wearing higher. uh Maybe your your shoes were uh, a little more uh, a, little, a little on the inch or two uh,
2: higher sole less than last time I saw you. So. Yeah. That- <laughs> that, that, that's possible that's how tall possible. Yeah. how
1: tall are you rob
2: uh six three and a half uh, oh wow he's so
0: tall he is so tall yeah. um he's he got a couple of inches on me still, but i was so like for some reason i was thinking he was like a little taller than that but yeah, but well, first time I saw Rob, I was like, you know, I wasn't expect like I was expecting someone short by any means, but I was like, man, you're pretty tall. It's Dude. funny because like when I met Matt and Dave, they Matt and Dave, uh, uh, Matt Peck and Dave Watson, they're tall too. Yeah, they, um, are. they are. And it, it didn't click to me because I remember seeing them standing next to Zach, and Zach wasn't like really towering over both of them. So I was like, it, it didn't click to me at that time. But then when I uh, when I met met them one the first time like oh man you guys are
2: tall <laughs> yeah ever since ever since the zoom era began right uh, every time i meet people in person that i only know virtually they're always surprised that i'm tall but i i think it's just a universal thing where i just think of people that i only know virtually as just half a body in a, in a yeah. Zoom box you know so it's it's kind of tough
1: i mean we gotta yeah. we gotta start drafting for like a a basketball team in the Bulls like podcast community and reporting community right, at this point. I right. mean Rob might be I, the number one pick. I mean Matt oh, is up there. Gosh. I mean Big Dave. <laughs> I mean that's a that's a squad already.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of times people assume I'm short because I'm Indian I and mean, most Indian. <laughs> Most Indian men are, like, 5'8". So, like, I think, I think that's why people are, like, kind of surprised that I'm 6'1". I'm like, oh, you're tall. Like, I mean,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that, that's pretty funny. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the Bulls this week, uh, splitting four games, again, uh, two wins against Boston and Indiana, uh losses against the Spurs and the Sixers in on a back-to-back. Uh, Rob, so far this season, I, I think going into the season – a lot of fans were concerned that this team was going to be possibly on the the play-in side of things and that like seven to ten range as the Eastern Conference has gotten a lot better with some some really stacked teams and like in the Cavs case, they they acquired Donovan Mitchell a really big name and they've looked pretty good so far. So uh the Bulls starting this season so far at three and four is probably not easing anyone's uh, concerns about that, and you, you kind of look at the numbers overall, and it's not anything anything great. It's pretty middle of the road, but uh, they've had some impressive performances though. When you look at the the season opener opener against Miami, the the blowout win against Boston after they came back. Uh, from trailing like 19, I think, was the largest lead that Boston had in that game. But they they turned that around. So, I mean, they've had some good performances. But again, it's just kind of a mixed bag. So do you do you think that this is kind of what we're going to get from this team overall this season? A team that's just kind of like just really capable of losing to anyone, capable of beating anyone, just kind of a middle of the road team? Or do you think there's reason for optimism based on what you've seen so far that they can be a little bit more.
2: Yeah, so I picked them before the season the Bulls for I can't remember it was just over 500, it was either 42 or 43 wins and, and the 8 seed. So that's what they've done so far hasn't led me to, you know, form any new evaluation of them other than that. But in terms of reasons for optimism, the the couple things I would know, one the Miami win and the Boston win are almost better than any two wins they had last season in terms of beating, you know, an elite opponent. And not only beating an elite opponent, like kind of surviving initial punches in the mouth and then coming back. Miami was obviously a little bit closer of a game. Boston was a blowout. But both of those wins I thought were legitimately impressive. Uh, The problem is the losses, whether you have the Cavs in the home opener blowout that just felt like every game after the All-Star break last year, just lifeless. And then not taking care of the teams that you're supposed to take care of. That was like the one thing that this Bulls team did really, really phenomenally well last year. Obviously they didn't beat any really elite competition past November, but they really handled their business against the teams below them. So giving up 129 to the Spurs as feisty as they've been early in the season, losing that game to the wizards, a game they really should have won. Those are two pretty tough losses, Um, so you could take that optimistically and say, Hey, they're not going to lose all those games this year. So once that normalizes, they'll be in a better spot. You could also say it's a little bit discouraging, uh, because they really should be winning those games. Uh, and then the other thing I know, you know, especially with those two games, Bulls didn't have Zach for either of those. You could take the optimistic view and say, Hey, you know, we'd be five and two with Zach and he's going to get healthier over the course of the season, and eventually he'll be available for more games, and the Bulls will look a lot better when he does. Uh, My skepticism with that is just that it's too early to be able to gauge how much this knee stuff is going to limit him throughout the year. So the pessimistic view of that would be, well, what if he's never able to play back-to-backs throughout the course of the season? They're managing him all year, and then the result is you are dropping games that you should be winning just because you're not fully staffed uh, for all the games that you should be. So I generally fall in the middle of extremes, you know, with analysis type stuff coming into the year. I thought this Bulls team was going to be a shade above 500. And in that play and mix, honestly, through seven games, it's a very small sample. That kind of seems like what we're looking at, a team that's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster, um, have high peaks and low valleys. But ultimately, as you said, Edward, kind of capable of beating any team on a given night, capable of losing to a team um, on a given night. So, you know, I wouldn't have necessarily picked the wins that they have and the losses that they have early in the season, but three and four, four and three through seven games, that's about what I would have expected. And I hate to say it, but I kind of expect them to be straddling that 500 line uh, for most of the season.
0: So I I would say like, depending on health again, because to your point with Zach being out, Io being out, Drummond being out, that's three big rotation pieces. Obviously, Zach um, being the, I mean, Zach was back yesterday, but he's still working his way through. But Zach was out the game before, obviously, because of the back-to-back situation. Um, I mean, in that regard, so you can probably add another positive spin there yeah. in the sense that, okay, when Zach is back to playing his normal game, we'll, we'll probably not have as many uh, down moments. Like yesterday, he did not really play well at all. Um, obviously you know some he made some good shots but like overall the shooting wasn't that all that great um and with io being out last night too you know that that's uh you know when when you have a game that come out the difference is a couple of possessions you know' I'm missing a guy like io can essentially tip you tip the scale for you so i guess if you look at it that that's kind of positive that it's for me, like I've said, I think it's you may need like a 15, 20 game sample size mm-hmm. to really get down on what this team is. Uh, but let's let's talk about as far as them coming out. Like it's been a consistent issue that we've talked about. I feel like since la- beginning of last season that this team just comes out really slow. Um, it does. It, they they seem to always trail behind. They have to fight back. Obviously, with, against Boston, you know, they flipped a 19-point lead into a uh, – or 19-point deficit into a 19-point or a 20-point win. But uh, yesterday, again, you know, they, they're they down big. They're down uh, big against – I don't know whether it was big, but it was double digits against the Spurs, too. And having to claw back all the time against teams is tough. And, and then expecting to have the gas left to finish those wins is tough, too. Um, obviously, I always say, yes, the players definitely deserve blame here. But, like, what has Billy done? Like, has he talked about that to you guys, like, in a sense, trying to explain, like, okay, like, what difference they can do, he can even do, um, to kind of make sure that this team is ready to go uh, when the tip-off starts instead of always trying to claw back every game? Uh.
2: So, I wouldn't say that Billy has said specifically what, he is going to do to try to to change that trend. And you're right, it's an alarming trend, Salim. Now, granted, we have not asked him, or at least not that I've been there, asked him a question that is framed directly in that way. Um, So, I mean, we're going to have to do that at some point because, again, this is a big issue. What I asked him, what what I asked Billy about pregame yesterday was the opponent three-point shooting, which obviously very high variance, very small sample size, plenty of old adages out there that say you can't really control um opponent three point percentage what you can control is volume but you know again this is a seven game sample so it's small but the bulls are dead last in the league in first quarter defensive rating they entered yesterday allowing 57 percent three-point shooting in first quarters and then the six are shot six of ten so i asked billy about that and he kind of segued it into the slow starts thing because so much of the slow starts is wrapped up in the defense being poor and he highlighted things like matching up and transition. Um, one thing that I think hurts this Bulls team is that they're such a help dependent team. Like they, they really sell out obviously to, to protect the rim and to, to kind of compensate, um, you know, helping, you know, helping individual defenders on the perimeter that then you just end up in rotation constantly, like in the Philly game, for example, like every time Joel Embiid touches the ball, they're throwing two at him, and you're just throwing yourself into rotation by doing that. Now you need to do that to get the ball out of Embiid's hands but he's gotten so much better in his career at, you know, kicking out. And then that Philly team is, you know, at least in the first half, we're pretty well connected in terms of, you know, picking the bulls defense apart and getting open looks out of it. So I would diagnose that as the issue with the slow start last night. Um, in terms of what Billy does about it. I mean, it's tough because things like transition defense, your, your coach can't do that for you. Right. Like that's a player execution thing. It's in the flow of a game. So I don't know how much he could do there. Maybe there is a level of motivation or locking guys into a game plan so that they're locked in defensively from the jump. But honestly, like and I asked Zach about this after the game last night, he talked about kind of, I mean, he says it after every game that they can't go down by 20 and then they just go down by 20 again the next right. game. So it's it's tough. But, you know, he acknowledged that like, listen, that's been their MO and the second unit has kind of saved their asses which is fine, except for the fact that when you look at that second unit, you're going to have nights like last night where, all right, mm-hmm. it's not a 15.5 assist Dragic night. You mentioned IO, you know, that obviously slides Caruso up a rotation slot. I thought they missed IO in terms of push and pace because right. that six, the Sixers transition defense is famously horrible and they just weren't able to get out on the break right. against them as much as I think they would have liked to. They really missed Drummond's. I mean, like, they the Bulls actually were underratedly a pretty good defensive rebounding team last year, but it was wholly predicated on Vooch just being a you know a monster on the glass when he was off the floor. They really struggled and had to play small. Obviously, you saw that last night like Billy trying to steal minutes with Pat and Derek Jones Jr. as the front court Javante up there. Um, so they missed Drummond, uh, in that respect. So that, that's another injury thing to kind of highlight. So I don't, we'll ask Billy about it. I think it would just come down to he's just got to have guys more prepared, maybe. But I, st- I, I do think there are things that just fall on the player in terms of being active, in terms of matching up in transition in the flow of a game, and just playing with urgency. I mean, this is one thing Zach talks about all the time. It's like they don't get their urgency until they're down by 20. Then it's easy to play with urgency because you every possession is, you know, there's the risk of the game tipping completely out of the possibility of a comeback. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a huge issue. I, you can't not put any of it on Billy. I I just don't really know what I would want him to do better other than just preparing guys better. Cause I think the rotations when they've had all their guys have been fine. I've liked the way he staggered Zach with the second unit when they've had everybody available. It's just a matter of guys being locked in and focused from the jump um, because as much as they've been able to make some of these comebacks and make games, make, make games close. And they won the Celtics game. You absolutely cannot live like that for, for 82 games. And you certainly can't live like that in the playoffs against, against the best teams.
0: Right. And that's what I'd look at. Like, I look at the, the, the consistency of it happening. And that's why I come to a conclusion that it might be a collective issue. Um, I, I just, like I said, you know, it's, if, if this was just this trend just to start this season, yeah, I can one hundred percent say one hundred percent. It's everything. It's on the players, and like I said, I'm not absolving the players at all of of their slow starts and their bad habits. But it's at it gets to a point. Where it's like, well, if you say that the coach can't do this for you, this to for you, that for you, it's like, well, there's 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 a reason there's a coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in certain aspects, like game planning and things like that, that's on the coach and. I don't like, as I said, my question is, I would love to, I would love to hear that detail from Billy. And I don't know, maybe that's something you at some point can ask him and try to dig in a little deeper and see like, you know, what, what is something that he discusses with them in depth about these starts and what's the plan to try to get them out of this, these slow starts as well.
2: Yeah, no, I, d- I definitely will. Like, that's something that you know has obviously been on the agenda because you're totally wrestling. Like, it's not just a trend from this year. Like, it was it was last year, and then I think we absolved Billy a little bit of the 2021 season because the roster was so young, right? But last year and this year, it's definitely been a trend. And frankly, like, I remember when Billy came in and, and Casey and Casey Johnson he interviewed Joe Kim Noah for uh for a story for our site, and Joe talked about how Billy was like the best motivational coach he ever had um so i don't really know how his voice resonates in the locker room in that way but you would think getting guys fired up to start a game and being locked in to start a game would would fall under that motivational bucket. So maybe, maybe there's something lacking there i guess that's one thing i could point to but um definitely like we'll be asking billy about that because he for for his faults as a coach he generally is pretty introspective and is willing to admit fault and say, "Hey, this is where I need to get better." The only question is, is it feasible? Like, is it is it actually going to happen? Because he probably said all the right things about this topic last year, and it obviously hasn't changed coming into this season.
1: Part of part of me is looking at just the starting lineup, and it like it, it, it seems like the problems we knew existed are here, but it just seems like worse than what we probably even presume. Like, you look at the Bulls' three-point uh, rate this season and it's bottom four so mm-hmm. far this season. And I, I think that's part of why they have these slower starts compared to other teams because they just don't, like that three-point shooting ability that these other teams have can put them ahead so quickly. So it, it just looks like, the bulls are just flat in comparison because they're matching so many threes with twos or they're getting to the line. They get to the line a lot. But again, you're, you're trading twos and you're competing against threes. Like you're competing against more high power offenses that have higher upside. And some of this, like, like Patrick Williams, for example, has, he's played better recently, but it still looks like he's not like it. It doesn't look like a great fit for what this team can really be on offense. And to me, I I look back at the trade deadline last year and it kind of is continuing to make sense why everyone was saying, well, we need a power forward who can knock threes down, who can can score more, who can be more of that threat, because that would open up that offense. And then, of course, you know, not having Lonzo doesn't help either, even though Io has uh, has looked pretty solid this year. So what do you think about how Patrick Williams has looked in this starting lineup? And n- not to place all of the blame on him, but do you think that maybe at, at some point in the next couple of games, Billy Donovan is going to look for another solution, like to change that up to get some better starts, potentially?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, so I totally agree. Patrick is not their biggest problem. And even when he was he's played better the last few games He get to 10 point games and, you know, had a couple nice offensive moments against Philly even when he was playing as poorly as he was to start the year, not to say that he's totally figured it out, but even when it was at its its low point, he wasn't the Bulls' biggest problem. I I totally agree with the three-point shooting critique, Edward. Like, it's just it's just a math problem at a certain point. It got to be a math problem last year. Um, it's just hard to keep up in this league, shooting as few as they do, and uh, obviously just not reliably on a night-to-night basis. The, the percentage hasn't been terrible over the small sample to begin the year. Um, but without Lonzo's volume uh, and efficiency combination, it's just hard to keep up to start games over the course of games. Um, it's just a difficult thing in terms of shaking up the starting unit. I mean, this is something, you know, KC has called for in a column. I, I agree with the point that Javante is a better fit with the starters. I think there are some pros, uh, you know, in every angle of that. Potential decision one: obviously, you let Patrick stagger with the second unit. Maybe he's a little bit freer to spread his wings there. Um, developmentally, it could be good. Just fit-wise, you know, he might feel like he can assert himself a little bit more. Not playing with Zach, Damar and Vooch, or even just Demar and Vooch when Zach's not out there. But the other thing, you know, offensively, I, I really focus on the defensive stuff, just because that's where the the numbers and and really the eye test too say that the issue is with the slow starts, especially because this team, you know, is at its best when it's playing fast. And if you don't get stops, you just, you can't play in flow offensively as much either. And I just think from an activity, from an energy, from like a set the tone perspective, Javante is just such a great fit with that first unit. And maybe he would inject that brand of, you know, immediate energy that you're looking for to start games. The caveat to that is, you know, they, they slid Caruso in for IO yesterday and it was the same thing and I, I i can't remember the fan's name but somebody asked me i didn't see it until it was the, the game had already gotten out of hand but asked me kind of what what i thought of that first unit with caruso in there for io and how maybe this will be the energetic spark it wasn't quite enough maybe javante at the four full-time would i don't know but maybe that's an adjustment that billy does have up his sleeve if it gets to a point where he feels like he has to make a change i'm sure you know, we talk about sample size all the time on the outside. They talk about it all the time on the inside too. So I'm sure they don't want to, you know, pull the trigger too quickly and make rash decisions and screw with people's roles and things like that. And and the rotation that they've settled on that you know has resulted in a few wins, but also maybe has resulted in a few slow starts too. But I, I've been in the I've been in the Javante as a better fit in the starting lineup, and Pat might be a better fit in the second unit. Really, since the season started, and you just—I mean, even in the preseason—you could see the the dregs of it. That this is how it was going to be. It was a little foreshadowed. Um, but to me, it's not like a harsh criticism of Pat to say that. In my opinion, I just think when you look at just how people's skill sets mesh and how people's preferred roles mesh, I, I've thought that Javante was a better fit um, with the starters. And then when you factor in the slow start thing, that might even be another reason. So you know, we'll see if they ever get to that point. Um, but you know, if it gets to a point where they just keep starting this slow, I just don't know how you can't pull that card. Because it's really one of the big moves that I think is still up Billy's sleeve to to potentially use. What do
1: you what do you think of how Patrick Williams is developing so far of this season? Like, he he hasn't played a lot of games for a rookie, and that's because, been because of injuries and things like that. But like, do you think that this season he is going to develop? positively whether it's coming off the bench or in the starting lineup like what do you make of him just going forward this season
2: yeah I truthfully don't know I will say it's 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 a good thing that he's at least played better over the last few games and you've seen those flashes of aggression like he had a he had a nice dive on a pick and roll dunk last night he's had a few strong drives he had a coast to coast uh bucket I think it was in the Spurs game where he pulled down a rebound and just took it the length of the floor which is exactly what you know, fans and the coaching staff, you know, everybody has been has been begging him to do. It's still inconsistent, and the the thing that I notice is when you look at the way that Billy, now, now he closed with him last night and, and, and played him, you know, a little bit more conventional starters minutes last night, but early in the season to see nights where he has his first stint and then doesn't come in for the rest of the first half and then has his first stint in the third quarter and then doesn't have a stint the rest of the game. It shows me that if he hasn't lost the coaching staff's trust in terms of, you know, impacting winning on a consistent basis, that's at least a tenuous, you know, there's there's at least a strain on that trust where they feel like Javante and Derek are playing, you know, higher leverage minutes. And maybe they think Derek Jones Jr. That is, and maybe they think they can just trust them more on a possession by possession basis. That makes me worry a little bit for Patrick's development because listen, the coaching staff, knows what we all know which is that the Bulls need to maximize their window this year Um and they're going to make decisions that are going to help them win games today and tomorrow um, it's it's hard to fully prioritize development with the pressure that's on this team this year and that's part of what makes Patrick's development situation so tough so I, I, I like that he's improved since getting off to a slow start my only question is is he going to get enough playing time and is he going to get opportunities in the situations he's most comfortable with that he's truly going to like significantly, significantly develop to the point where you would call it a leap, which is what everybody wanted coming into this year. Right. That was, if not the expectation, it was the hope. I'm a little skeptical if that's going to happen just because Billy, even though he's kept him in the starting lineup has shown that he does not have a lot of leeway for him. Like he, he will, he will gladly turn to a Javante Green or a Derek Jones jr if he doesn't feel like Pat has given them what they need and Pat, you know, it's only been seven games this year and the injury stuff. So it's a small sample, but he just, he hasn't been able to do it on a consistent enough basis to really stick in Billy's trust circle yet. Um, So, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say whether I expect him to develop after seven games, but I'm the reasons I would be skeptical um, are those in terms of the role and the usage. Like I just, I just don't know if that's going to be there the way that I expected it to coming into year.
0: I I, I mean, so last couple of games, I think we've seen getting more involved on actions and like being a screen setter, and um, and not necessarily uh, that resulting in him him getting like cuts to the basket. I think one time he uh, one play he did with Zach where he set a screen for Zach and then was able to cut to the basket and get that dunk, uh, the strong finish. Um, and then obviously you've talked about the defense is the most important part where he's been really uh, more consistent as the season's gone on uh, defensively. Um, and in the past, Billy had mentioned that, you know, Pat can always get involved in, and when, when talking about his aggression, uh, assertiveness and aggression on offense, and he's always mentioned, Pat can always get involved in in action and setting screens and things like that. Like what did Billy mean by that? Because, to me when those actions are set plays that are designed like the they're not something that guys are just kind of freestyling out there in a sense so like was billy kind of questioning pat's commitment as far as uh or feel for the game in the sense that like hey when you're out there uh we need you to set the screen and you're just not doing it like is that what Billy was saying? Like what, I didn't understand like what he meant by that because it's confusing. And it's, it's like, it's, it's Pat refusing to get involved. Like what's, what, what do you mean that he can't always do it, but he's not doing it.
2: Yeah. So one thing I would say that Billy, he always will lump a lot of different things together when he talks about Pat's aggressiveness. So he will say screen setting, but he also talks about rebounding, running the floor hard and transition, like those little things. Right. So, I think those things are a little bit more in Pat's control. And that's where certainly the coaching staff, like, and I think there's been more of an intention to get him involved over the last two games, like you said, Salim. So I give the coaching staff credit for that. I also think it's warranted to be like, listen, you want this dude to be more aggressive, but you're not drawing stuff up for him. You're not like intentionally trying to get him in screen roll action or whatever. Like that's, that's hurting his development. I also, I, But I just think Pat has to meet them in the middle with the with the rebounding stuff, the defensive activity stuff, which has all been a lot better. I can't remember. I think it was the Spurs game. He had three steals. Yeah. I thought he was pretty good on Harden last night. I mean, the, I think the Bulls overall did a great job on James Harden last night in the Philly game. So all that stuff is is coming along in a way that is good, because I don't think in the first couple of games of the year when he was getting zero, one, two rebounds in the game, he's still only averaging two rebounds a game. I just didn't see even him controlling the things he could control. I think he's starting to do that a little bit better in terms of the screen setting stuff. I do think though, when Billy talks about that, like this quote unquote random offense that he wants, the principles that he wants them to play to. I think in his ideal mind, guys would just randomly screen for each other. Things would happen in the flow of the offense like, like that, as they're learning to play with each other. The thing about a guy like Pat is he, he's still so young. He still has less than a hundred games of experience. Right. And he's have still have a feel so, for that. You, you gotta have a feel for it. And also, I mean, he's still such in the learning process of picking his spots individually that doing those type of freelance things in the flow of a grander offense. Like that's just a, it's a lot to ask of him. If we're just being realistic, like put aside, well, he's a number four world pick. He should be able to do this. Like put that aside. We got to be realistic about where he is. I think freelancing that type of stuff would be a lot to ask. So, you know, having him involved in the first couple possessions of games, you know, that maybe that was an intentional thing. Maybe it's just a, you know, Hey, we're just hammering him so much, you know, in downtime, like talking about how much he needs to be aggressive that he's coming out and starting to take things into his own hands a little bit. Um, But, you know, regardless, I think, the coaching staff can do a better job utilizing him. I also think, and he's done a better job, but I think he's, he's got to keep it up. It's got to stay consistent uh, with the defensive activity and the rebounding for Pat, because I mean, you see it when he goes coast to coast, like he can, you know, bring opportunities onto himself. He can create them for himself when he's engaged and mixing it up inside and using his like length and athleticism to actually impact games in that way. Um, Just want to keep seeing him continue to do that. And then, you know, maybe opportunities present themselves when, you know, if and when he's able to insert himself into games in that way.
0: Right. And I also think like patience is required. Like, I know the argument becomes, yeah, the Bulls are a win now team. And to your point, you've mentioned that and that's just something the coaching staff is trying to do is win now. But at that same time, the AK, the reason he's not trading Pat isn't because of what Pat can provide the team this instance. That's what he projects Pat to be um, down the line. And that's the reason, like, they want to keep him so so much that they don't want to include him, offer him in a Rudy Gay trade. Uh, not Rudy Gay, sorry, Rudy Gobert trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in general, they're just, you know, saying, okay, we, we're not going to include Pat in, in, in any trade talks. Um, I, I look at you know I, the other day we were playing the Spurs a guy like Keldon Johnson he is a is a good example of a guy who is probably not ready to play at a certain level and obviously there are different picks obviously the, a lot of people get in their mind of a certain you know when you're a certain pick in a certain draft you know the, you should just be expected to do certain things like you mentioned uh, earlier but he's a good example of a player. Like, look, he has his, t- his talent, the skill sets, but a good coaching staff and a good player development process. Um, it, it takes time and work and you have to have that patience and Pat's learning. Like you said, he is learning. He's learning how to do these things off ball. That's not natural to him. Mm-hmm. He is more natural with the ball in his hand. Um, you know, we, we've talked about ad nauseum about like, like the off seasons that workouts that he had, There were on ball activity workouts. There weren't off ball workouts. Maybe there is a disconnect there. I don't know. Um, I mean, I've heard things on the side that there might've been, but I'm not hundred percent sure about that. Like as far as the, what the front office is telling him to work on and what the coaching staff wants him to work on. I don't know. Maybe there's a disconnect there, but it is definitely a process of learning how to play off ball and that's something that we do have to have patience on and I think we're starting to see him get that feel little by little and it's a long season like I like and the other frustrating part and not to ramble on here but other frustrating part I see is a lot of people get mad and just immediate calling Pat a bust and like this stuff is, this stuff is going to be part of the growing pains the process again like you have to you have to let him grow and 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 learn these things. before we just make any type of real conclusion on what he is, like like he he's barely had a little over a season in totality of games played. How can we how can we make any conclusion to what he is just yet?
2: Yeah, you can't. Um, I and the the on the on ball off ball stuff is is a good point because. I hate to bring the cliche up, but, you know, he was, he did play functionally point guard in high school. And like, he's been a facilitating, a, a, a facilitating minded guy for most of his basketball life. So, you know, I think the off ball stuff comes more naturally to guys like Javante and Derek Jones Jr. Who have had kind of role player trajectories throughout their NBA careers. I can't, I, I can't speak to either for them uh, pre NBA, just cause I don't have that off the top of my head. Didn't haven't studied it. Um, But so you see them just more naturally having that nose for the ball on putbacks, offensive rebounds, cuts, you know, getting out in transition or whatever. So I think the perception of moving without the basketball, cutting, playing off of guys, I think the perception of that is that it's easier. But in reality, if it's not something that you're comfortable with, there's a learning curve to it. And there's also for Pat, I mean, to me, like just watching the games, being there, there's also like a game processing thing that is still coming along too. like you'll see, I can't remember what game this was in. It might've been the Cleveland game. Like there's a play where, you know, IO is coming around a curl and the clearly the first read is to, to hit IO on that, but the, the screen gets blown up and Pat's sitting at the top of the key and he was waiting for IO to come around the screen. It doesn't work. And then the next move is just a one or two dribble mid range pull up, you know, like they, it seems like he's still building out his Rolodex of, Things that he's comfortable doing on a basketball court and reading in real time, and it's it's it, the frustration I think comes from it just being clunky, like the timeline of him developing versus what the Bulls, you know, ideally would need from him right now. Uh, but you know, every prospect's different, every person's different, and they just got to try to get the most out of him that they possibly can. Um, obviously for this year, but but moving forward too. And this is where the stuff you were talking about, slaying with the on-ball stuff. I think it'd be important to like, if I'm the coaching staff, talk to Pat, see what situations he's most comfortable in. Do the conversation in the vacuum, like put everything aside that's happened so far. Put the team, put like the play, the rest of the players on the team aside. Like, what are you in a vacuum most comfortable doing? And then trying to cater a role to that as much as you can. I think, I suspect, just by watching him and know and have having watched college and high school stuff him too. I suspect like you do that it's on ball stuff that he's just most comfortable doing. He could probably do that either with the second unit or staggered with the second unit more. So this kind of comes full circle to coming back to the, uh, that initial starting lineup conversation we were having the problem with that though, you know, does that cut into his playing time? And then what he really needs to learn how to do anything on a basketball court at the NBA level is reps. And if you're cutting into his reps, that's, a difficult thing developmentally to do, even if you know a couple of Javante deflections wins you a regular season game against the Knicks in December. You know it's it's just a tough line to walk.
1: That that brings me we 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 talked about like player development a lot the past couple of weeks and. You know, not to make this a conversation about past Bulls players, you know, we, we talked about Wendell Carter and how he's turned it around in Orlando since leaving Chicago. Lowry Markinen has looked like pretty solid overall since uh, leaving Chicago and going to Cleveland now in Utah. And as Celine mentioned with Keldon Johnson, I think one factor in some of this player development stuff is really it, it is op- it is opportunity. And it is kind of sometimes being able to play in a situation where you can make a lot of mistakes without really having to assume so many consequences. Now, granted, (laughs) Lowry, Markin and Wendell Carter Jr. did have that uh, situation in Chicago because they were playing for a rebuilding team. But coaching, I think, kind of neutered that to to a pretty significant degree. But. I think now it's just really Patrick Williams, like you guys have said, he's such a young player. He hasn't had a whole lot of meaningful game reps, and he's playing on a team that wants to compete right now. And it doesn't help that he the position he plays is could be better suited for something else, skill set-wise, that can unlock some offensive potential on this team. So I almost wonder like if if Patrick Williams was on a team like Utah or Orlando or something like that, where he can really just go out there and and kinda have those games like he did against Minnesota last year and that in that last regular season game where he was the guy and he was running pick and roll and you know he was going out there hunting his shot, he was being aggressive. I wonder if we would see more of that and he, he would start to show those strides more. But since he's on a team right now where it's kinda like, hey, we need we need production, like, it's harder. And, you know, you look at someone like Io. Io comes in with more of a – as as a player, he's figured himself out more than Patrick Williams. So it seems like he fits kind of what this team wants right now in the moment than Patrick Williams. But I don't know. I'm just curious your thoughts on that in terms of, like, how – what the team is currently plays a role in when those strides actually come from a young player like a Patrick Williams.
2: I think there's no question he would develop faster in an environment. This is just my opinion, but I think there's no question he would develop faster in an environment like that um, pressure free, play free, make mistakes, whatever. It's a rebuilding team. Just let's just, let's get as many possible reps doing as many possible things as possible. And we'll see where we're at after a certain sample. That just seems like the type of player slash prospect that Patrick is to me. The other thing that underscores this whole thing, and Edward, you just hit on it with Lowry and Wendell. This front office and Billy came in uh, two years ago, spe- like over the top, talking about player development. It was the it was the main focus of all of their introductory public comments. It seemed like it was going to be the through line of how they built this thing. We were reading tea leaves, but just looking at where our tourists came from, Denver. That they that team is built through the draft they were developed, extended, retained. Like that's, that's how they did business down there. It is not how the bulls have done business at all. And frankly, I mean, IO is their only to this point, again, the book is not written on Patrick Williams yet, but I was their only player development success at this point. And I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but I think anywhere IO went, he was going to like, like he kind of just seems like that's who IO is. He was going to fit in wherever he went and reach his full potential. Um, So, you know, credit to the front office for identifying him and picking him at 38, but given that he started last season out of the rotation and kind of forced his way in by his own force of will, I don't know how much credit to give the coaching staff for him getting to where he is now. Um, Probably some, because Io has mentioned that he likes Billy's coaching style um, and that it's brought stuff out of him. But the overarching point is this team started young and it's been flipped into a really veteran laden team. It's why there's so much pressure on the timeline because um, you know you have guys in like the Rosen and Vooch for example exiting their prime um you know contract like vooch in a contract year tomorrow up after next year and the the underlying context to all this stuff like making a gamble on how much Patrick is going to develop or improve, he can't ignore the context where the, the few prospects that they've had in here that were younger and highly touted didn't work, didn't pan out. Um, now, granted, they weren't this front off. They, Lowry and Wendell were not drafted by this front office. So obviously in this business, you're going to have less leeway with guys like that. And, you know, they end up getting used in trades. It's not like they got nothing for them. Um, but that type of stuff makes it harder to bet with hundred percent confidence that this is going to, work out developmentally for Patrick Williams just cause that track record of success is not there yet. Um, like, it's not like he's in a like a Memphis or a Miami or somewhere where they just churn young dudes out, um, and dra- draft develop like with a, with a pretty ironclad track record. Um, so that's, that stuff is it's, it's really hard to ignore. And it's a, it's a dynamic with just how this team was built that as we get further into the season is going to be more and more worth discussing is that this group is just not constructed in the way that I necessarily expected. And in a way they've kind of brought some of these developmental issues on themselves just by accelerating the timeline to the degree that they have. Um, But, you know, we'll see seven games in a lot of season left. And obviously a lot of career left uh, for Patrick Williams. It's just there. These are definitely pieces of adversity that he's going to have to overcome in addition to, you know, the COVID stuff at the beginning of his career, the injuries, like this kind of uneven development situation for him is just kind of another, another hurdle.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's the player development. I'm not out on it yet because obviously I think it, you have to see it over more than like what it's been like a year, like almost a little, maybe over two years technically,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Um but yeah, it's it's something that we had to keep an eye on because when 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 they started, the front office took over, you know, um, Mark Eversey specifically mentioned, man, there they only had one player development person. like that was shocking to me, and that's something we are gonna focus on on doing. And the other question you have to ask is like, were they just neglectful of not developing guys that they didn't draft yeah. like, that was in their guys. Is that the other question that we have to ask? And if that's the case, that's also negligent because, in the end, that's talent still. It, it doesn't matter if you didn't get those guys, um, and you weren't beholden to them. That's still talent that you sh- you should be responsible for, you know, developing. Um, obviously, Kobe White is another player that um, I do think Kobe's gotten better from his last year from Boylan to where he's at now. But that, again, you know, you you have to wonder, it's like what what are some of the things, conversations they've had with Kobe about things that he needs to work on? Um, what What is the, is there a disconnect somewhere as far as the things that we need Kobe to do and what Kobe is as a player? Because I always talk about, obviously, Kobe um, being a complimentary player, you know he's worked on his ball handling things that he works on in the off season is obviously a lot more on ball stuff and you wonder is like okay where is there again is there a disconnect in communication here with players and i think that's what we need to have understand as well that's something that's really needs to be dig, dug deep into because if you're telling a player, hey, these are the things, at least if the front office is having a conversation at the end of the scene with the players, this is what we need you to work on. But then the coaching Mm -hmm. staff is like, well, this is how we're going to use you. That's a problem. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm not saying that's what's happening. I just, you have to wonder because what we're seeing guys work on in their games and then what we're seeing players being utilized during the games can sometimes not be on this on the same page
2: yeah well even i mean even if you look at, back to patrick like if you look at his summer league usage it, it was great to see the ball in his hands and all right go go right. play free and whatever happens happens but at the end of the day how valuable was that if that's not even close to how he's going to be used right And so i but i don't even know if that's a disconnect because i don't i think the front office probably plays a big role in how he's going to be used in a summer league context for example like i, sure. I think they get together and you, and you build the team in a certain way um to like you know bring out you know what whatever you want to bring out out of a given player and, and in that year uh 2021 it was pat so i mean that that's that's uneven i'm glad you brought up kobe salim like i agree he's gotten better but you couldn't call him a player development success at this right. point not yet not yet right. and frankly like the way that you know, not getting the extension and then going into restricted free agency has played out. Like and the trade the trade rumors and they definitely did, you know, field offers for him in the offseason, didn't move on anything. But um you can't even say that he's gonna be around long term. Right. Like it would not like it would not surprise me at all if he's not here next year. Now whether they turn him into something else, maybe they just play it out and end up matching. Regardless, if he if he was a player development success at this point, he would be extended. Like that's what happens when you develop you know, guys that are in the building. So like, like, I totally agree that you need more than two or three years to evaluate this stuff, but given how much they touted it coming in, it's been one of the big surprises of this new regime that not only have there not been successes, like it's one thing to not have successes after two or three years. Again, the sample size is small, but trading away all the draft picks moving forward. uh, Obviously the DeMar trade has worked out value wise. The Vooch trade, was clearly an overpay at this point, but they're they're rolling it. They're rolling with it. But even those moves just from the process of them shows that those types of uh project development focus, like the that's just not how they want to build this thing. That's just through their actions, you can tell that those types of things are not as important to them as obviously kind of elevating the team in the immediate future. Um and that was yeah. just surprising to me. I just thought they were going to do it a different way when they came in. Jury still out on you know how effective this strategy is going to be. But it just it, it's necessary context talking about the Patrick Williams development stuff because it makes me hesitant to say to give the the development process here the benefit of the doubt. That that's that's all I can really say about it. And the one thing I should I sh- we should know for the front office is or to the front office's credit, they definitely did beef up the player development staff when they got here they've got way more coordinators like analytics wise like they're 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 inclined in a way that i I guess i don't really know how much it was before i know because there's like numbers on how few Mm -hmm. player development staff there was before compared to now so they've definitely put resources into that into those types of things it's just a question of are the results going to follow because at the end of the day it's a results based business
0: yeah i guess like yeah you you have to you have to see the process play out. Um Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, you know, uh, the, even the, the players that they've drafted in general, obviously outside of Io, who was more ready to play because you know, obviously he played, what, three years of college ball. But even Dalen has been looking like a guy who I really like, and he showed good things, but he looks like a guy who needs seasoning
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that he's going to need that focus on development, especially with his shooting. Um, so... I mean, we'll have to see what what happens because, like, if you draft guys that need, you know, help and a hand to develop, that player development department and that process that you've implemented, it's it's going to be very important, and that's going to be really the key long term for AK because, if especially with these trades that he's done, like we're not going to have next year's draft pick unless unless obviously they miss the playoffs and get ridiculously lucky, mm-hmm. um, and and jump into the top four. And then we're also going to likely be out of a pick in 25. Uh, it's top eight protected. Again, if they miss the playoffs and they're in that top, they'll get it. But likely their goal is to be in the playoffs, right? So you're not going to have that pick at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, it becomes a point where it's like what, what? they're focused on player development while, yeah, they don't have those picks. But when they are drafting, they're drafting guys that do need seasoning. hmm
1: yeah, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this team juggles this young guard and also manages trying to compete now because, like like you were saying earlier, Salim, like AK may not want to trade Patrick Williams because in a few years, maybe he can become the player they think he becomes. And by that time, DeMar DeRozan and Boosh, those guys would kind of be kind of trending downwards at least in the twilight of their career so he would become more of an instrumental piece but at the same time you look at what the team is designed to do now and they've traded draft picks they've invested so much money into these guys who are in the prime of their career so it's it's almost like how can we make this team compete better today while still at least not giving up so much of the young talent on this team—it's a—it's a really fine line that they're trying to balance, and I, I admire them for trying to do it. But it does seem that at some point that they may have to—they may have to really choose another, choose a direction once again on top of what they've already done. So uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out. Um, Rob, before we wrap up, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on this upcoming stretch of games that we have uh, this week for the Bulls. And the team is uh in Tuesday Brooklyn, they're they're on the road against Brooklyn, and then mm-hmm. Wednesday on a back to back against Charlotte at home, then Friday at Boston, and then Sunday at Toronto. So uh, it, it's fair to say that Zach Levine's probably gonna is I, I'm guessing he misses one of those games on that back to back. I don't I don't know which one, but mm. um. How do you how do you see the team performing this week, and what are your thoughts on like if Zach Levine, how Zach like if Zach Levine is gonna miss one of these games? Yeah, and given the,
0: well, well, also yeah, with, uh, with Io and Drummond's injuries, yeah, Iyo like Drummond's shares, injuries. As well. are those yeah. like are they yeah. was that like a one off, or is that something that we need to be worried about
2: going forward? So the, 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 the uh, I'll start with Io and Drummond. The good thing is two days in between Philly and, and Brooklyn on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know. Billy described both of them as minor injuries. When we talked to him yesterday, I mean, with, with this team and with injuries, like you just can't say until the injury report comes out or until they're out playing again. I don't, the Drummond one, I feel more confident saying is not that serious because he played obviously in the Spurs game after Mm -hmm. it's a shoulder strain. And, you know, it was just, it was described as something that the medical staff didn't think would be more than a few day thing. Um, so I would feel a little bit more confident in him than Io, only because Io's thing is in the kind of head-neck area. He's not concussed, but he has a thoracic, I think that's how you pronounce it, contusion, where he's just having trouble moving his oh, neck-head okay. area. Yeah. Um, the thing with Io, though, he was, he was probable on the injury report yesterday, so we were expecting him to play just based on that. So that probably points to it not being that serious either. We'll see what the injury report looks like. I, if they miss one of the two back-to-back games, but I definitely expect them back by the end of the week at at the latest. So I don't, I don't think either of those things are that serious. Uh, We'll see what happens there with Zach. um, Just the precedent of the back-to-backs. I don't think he's playing both the way that the bulls played the last back-to-back. I know a lot of people were saying, Oh, rest him versus the Spurs. So he could play versus Philly. I don't think you can afford to like care about the opponent or quality of opponent with this type of stuff. If they're truly, you know, managing Uh, you know a pretty sensitive knee injury thing you just go by the load and by like how much time you're able to give a guy off so in brooklyn on two days rest or home for charlotte on three normally i would say that he probably rests the first night of that back-to-back and then plays the second but given that they have two days before the first one um that could really go either way um i think both of those should be wins to be honest with the way that the nets have struggled and the hornets i know they're three and three right now but Hmm. That's just not a team that talent-wise stacks up with the Bulls, in my opinion. Um, especially especially when out. Yep. with out. Yeah, especially with that. And that's just to get, like the Bulls, the formula last year for being at the top of the conference for as long as they were and being above the plane was banking wins against teams they were supposed to beat. So they've got to get back to doing that if they're going to, you know, try to separate themselves from being this team that's dancing between a game above 500 to a game below 500 and just kind of stays in that zone all year. Celtics. It'll be interesting because you'd have to think that team isn't happy with how the last game went (laughs) and it'll be in Boston. And, you know, everyone knows that, you know, Eastern conference champs, everyone knows, um, you know, their talent level and their skill level. So that'll be an interesting test for the bulls. I mean, if they were able to go into Boston and beat them again, that would be, you know, obviously very impressive. And then Toronto, uh, they've got a back-to-back at the start of next week, starting the week from today, road and then home, both against the Raptors. Um, So that's another one with Zach where if they're still doing the back-to-back thing, I'd probably expect him to rest the first one just to give him that two days of rest. Um, But we'll see what happens. Uh, I think in this stretch, and I'll, I'll factor in the second Raptors game, three and two would be great cause you really should win the Brooklyn and Charlotte games and then steal one of the two against the yeah. Raptors or maybe steal the Celtics one. Um, so that's what I would be looking for in this stretch, but man scheduled, man, there's just no easy games Yeah. That's Pelicans, Nuggets, Pelicans.
0: <laughs> the Pelicans, Nuggets, Pelicans, Magic. Is, uh... But even you know the magic, they're not going to be like a pushover. They're, they're, they're a feisty young team, you know, like, it, 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 that should be a win, but like it's it's like a team that you're playing that has, uh, you know, young talent that's playing freely. That's yeah. gonna fight. They know, have the no expectations.
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> They're just gonna come out and just do whatever. They have no expectations, and they just have. Right. Like, Palos look fantastic this year. So I mean, who knows what's gonna happen with that?
2: And and the thing about that Pelicans team, I'm looking at two matchups against them next or this Wednesday, and then the or, sorry next Wednesday, and then the following Wednesday after that the way they came out in that preseason game against the bulls, like if they're healthy, I mean, they could drop 140. Right. like Like right. they have so much offensive talent and they're so deep and they're so well coached. I mean, that's, that's a really tough for, for given the deficiencies of this bulls team, starting games and on the defensive end, that's a really tough matchup. So yeah, I mean, this week of nets, Hornets, Celtics, Raptors twice, you gotta have three wins. You gotta be at 500 coming out of that stretch. Um, just given that the Pels are coming up nuggets, Celtics again, Bucks the following week. Um so, you know, every it's it's just with how much talent is in the league, all of these stretches of schedule feel important, but especially against teams like the Raptors, you know, who you might be near in the standings, Boston, Brooklyn when you know, they'll figure it out at some point and be in the mix. Um you would think um, so, you know, these head to head matchups uh, really matter, especially this year. Yeah.
0: Right. I, I'll say this, too. After that Raptors matchup, the back to back there, there isn't a back to back for a month. Yes. So, true. ideally, Zach plays all those games and he can start ramping up his conditioning and his feel out there. And that's really going to be the difference. If, if, once Zach gets back to being Zach, I think. The variance of these outcomes will start. You'll start seeing a little bit more means to what Mm -hmm. this team is, Mm -hmm. Um, because, like I said, that that Zach variance is huge, and it's people last season people overlooked it with him playing through that knee problem. Uh, You know, everyone pointed to Lonzo being out, but like, look, if Zach was Zach last season, they don't fall uh to like the play uh not the play and sorry they don't lose home court I don't think um so I, I feel like I feel like that's important thing that we have to look at here as well that stretch where from like December 9th to the next back to back is the 11th against uh in December 11th against the Hawks the the the, the, the Dallas and the Hawks is a back to back and the 10th and 11th in December so that's a positive you know, thing to look at that. Okay. Zach's going to be able to ramp up here ideally. um, He doesn't miss time and cross your fingers that he doesn't have any kind of like, you know, knee issue or like, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, not a setback necessarily, but just something doesn't pop up in that regards.
2: And and frankly, hope that this is, it's too soon to have an answer on this, but hope that this is something that gets better over the course of time. And isn't right. just a new reality, yeah. you know, that's, a huge question for the first couple months of the season where obviously everyone around the bulls is going to say, yeah, it's management. Yeah. You know, it'll get better over time. Zach will, Zach will say, and he he might believe it like, yeah, I'm still just feeling myself out. You know, the, you know, the pop will come back that, but just especially the way that camp and the preseason and him missing the opener out of nowhere came, came about. Um, I really don't think we're going to have an answer to that until like midway through the season, maybe. Maybe, um, yeah. At the least.
0: And, yeah. And like I said, it's about reps, right? Like so if you if you're a player that needs reps and needs to get this your conditioning right and feel right, you know, these early back to backs and miles playing one game and then sitting out, playing one game and sitting out, that doesn't help you at all because then that's kind of like almost restarting. Yeah. You know, the, the going back from to square one. Um so and, like I said, you know, the, this that stretch is gonna be important.
2: And the other thing, I mean, he is, like Billy has said, he's like a lot of day after game practices, like he's limited in practice. So obviously Zach's a vet, like he knows how to get his own individual work in and, and keep himself ready. But the whole mission statement of this year was continuity. And you start the year without Alonzo, who knows. Right. Um, if and when he's even going to come back. And then you pile on top of that, Zach in and out of games, in and out of practices, like great. Billy's found a rotation pattern that's working for 2 3 games. Oh, well, it's gone now because that, you know Zach's resting this game and then it's you know everything kind of goes out the window and you got to go back to square one. That's exactly what this team was supposed to not be just based on the way that they approached the offseason. That was supposed mm-hmm. to be kind of the one boon that they could lean on. Uh it hasn't been that way so far, but uh I'm glad you pointed out the back the gap in the back-to-backs cuz they have I think they have four in basically the first, like, three weeks of the right. season. And right. then you get that month break. Um, right. So, you know, I think the the, the most optimistic person would say, hey, maybe, maybe by the time that December back-to-back comes up, we have a little bit more clarity. But, you know, yeah. with yeah. these and with this team, I just – it, I, you really got to see it to believe it.
0: Yeah, yeah the only the only continuity has been consistent guys missing time. That's the yeah. only is, continuity is, that's,
1: it,
2: that's existed
0: with this Bulls team. Yeah. is <laughs> it is it really
1: a bull season if injuries are not a primary storyline and there isn't some sort of undisclosed injury that is lurking throughout the season and. Uh we have we have plenty of them. So uh <laughs> it's, it's it's very very consistent. Uh Ra, thank you so much for joining us as always and dropping some knowledge on the Bulls. Uh can you let our listeners know anything that you're you're uh, working on right now for NBC, NBC Sports Chicago that we can look forward to uh reading and or listening to?
2: Yeah, so NBCSportsChicago.com uh all of mine and KC's work is there. Uh, Bulls talk podcast uh, with uh, Jason Goff, Tony Gill jumps in. We get Will Purdue and Kendall Gill in the mix too. Uh, those are fun. Find those at, at NBC platforms. And then on Twitter, I'm at Rob underscore Shafe. In terms of things I'm working on, you know, we always have, we always go all out on, on game coverage, recaps, sidebars, you know, bringing in um, locker room slash, you know, podium stuff. And then honestly, like once we get to 15, 20 game sample, You know, we'll have a lot. We'll have a lot of big picture kind of like, all right, this is what this team looks like. Statistically, these are strengths and weaknesses. I'm kind of building up the Rolodex of that. Have my eye on stuff for now, Uh, but you don't want to overreact to seven games, Mm. um, especially for all the stuff we talked about with kind of how up and down the rotation has been and guys have been in and out. But uh, certainly the further we get into the season, the more we're going to we're going to ramp up. And uh, hopefully the Bulls keep it at least entertaining uh, for us and the fans and we can uh, maybe see some playoff basketball again. We'll see.
1: Yeah, I'm, I am I still remain uh, optimistic that we're going to get a playoff series. It, it's going to be a little bit of a tough, uh, tough route. And I, I don't think we'll have home court, but uh, I, I think I think we're going to get there. Uh, thank you so much again, Rob. Uh, Salim, any th- final thoughts before we wrap up, man?
0: Yeah, um just glad there's two days break here. Hopefully, you will have a full um, team uh, against the Nets. Mm-hmm. We'll see, like I said, which game Zach ends up sitting out. I'm guessing it'll be against Charlotte because it's a softer team compared – I mean, shouldn't really say that because Brooklyn's looked like a hot mess to start the season as well. So, I don't know. We'll find out. I guess if the, if the trend holds true, technically – They've been sitting him on road games, so mm-hmm. you would probably think they'll sit him against Brooklyn and then play him at home against Charlotte. But yeah, we'll find out that in regards to see what happens there. But yeah, overall, that you know, let's see, this is a process
1: and a grind, and we just need to see
0: how everything plays out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm, I'm thinking it's gonna be the the Charlotte game that he plays is. Rob mentioned gets gets the longer rest and gets to right. gets to play the game at home, so that that seems to make more sense. Even though it it, it would be great to see him play against Brooklyn, but um, mm-hmm. like like you mentioned, there are we don't have a back to back for a month after the like Toronto after the back yeah. to back. So we'll hopefully Zach will be able to ramp up, and we'll we'll get to see him. Uh, play regularly so hopefully that is something that we can look forward to but uh, that concludes today's Bulls Gold as always you can catch our past shows on the Barroom Network on Spotify on Apple wherever you get your podcasts so for Salim Sudawala I'm Edward Shuler this has been Bulls Gold and we will catch you next time Bulls fans